Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phineas Club. This is a show where we cover the news from the different parts of the world. Uh, we try to get people from different countries, different cultures, different backgrounds, and uh, try to see how each of us t look at those uh, bits of news that have been happening in the past month or so. My name is Patrick Beja, and today I'm very glad to welcome back three uh, co-hosts to the show. First, uh, Turkey, of course, who's always or almost always with me. When when he's not on the show, I feel kind of hollow inside. How's it going, Turkey? Ah, oh, you're being too sweet, and I was trying to be very mean to you. <laughs> well, that's I have to to compensate for you know I have to balance out your your uh, anger and uh, you know acidity. <laughs> Thank you very much. So very glad to welcome you back to the show. Uh, we also have Eric joining us from uh, China, um, and uh, I guess you're yes, China. China, Shanghai. Yes, Shanghai. I was, <laughs> I was thinking, is it Shanghai? Is it Shenzhen? Is it, but you just told me like two minutes ago. That shows how foreign China is to me. I don't know anything about China. But thanks for being on, Eric. My pleasure. And we will have a lot to talk about uh, about China. I think we'll start with that uh, on this episode. And uh, lastly, but not leastly, we have Dan joining us from uh, Mexico. How's it going, Dan? Hi there. Uh, well, we have at least some uh, curious notes, perhaps not as uh, interesting or, or not as amazing as uh, the ones that are uh, happening in the rest of the world. But uh, perhaps we can uh, bring a smile in, in some way. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to that as well. So thanks for joining us. And uh, as I mentioned, I think what's been happening in China is uh, pretty interesting. So let's start with that. And when I say what's been happening in China, there's so much. It's kind of, uh, we, we ha kind of have to pick a couple, um, but maybe I'll let you choose, but I would love for it to, to include the topic of uh, the, the president becoming president for life, because that has some, yeah. something of an echo uh, in our, our parts. Yeah, well, that's certainly the most interesting part that's happened. Uh, that came out of uh, something called the two sessions, which is the kind of the National People's Consultative Congress that gets together. That's the, the their equivalent of a legislature. It's a rubber stamp legislature. It's not really uh, what we would recognize as a legislature in the West. So everything's kind of preordained in advance. And it was very funny to watch the votes for Xi Jinping to become president for life, which is effectively they remove term limits Uh, from the presidency. And that had been something that was in place since 1982. And they put that there as a way uh, to to kind of prevent what the excesses happened during the Mao Zedong era uh, in the in, in the 50s and 60s. And so every there were two terms of five years. And China for past 25, 30 years had been really quite impressive with how predictable it had been in turning over power. And there was this cleansing that happened every 10 years where a whole administration would leave and a new one would come in. And it was quite um, it, it was all done very peacefully and it was done in a way that was actually quite healthy. And now we uh, we don't have that anymore. President Xi Jinping uh, removed that. We got a hint of that five years ago when he, we, we normally after the second term begins, you start to see the predator, the, the kind of the next in line being groomed. And there wasn't anybody there. So that was the first hint. So this was not something that was sudden. This is something that had been planned for quite some time. Uh, but Xi Jinping now is in power uh, for as long as he wants. And is this, I mean, obviously, I think I'm, I'm speaking for most of the Western world. When we look at this, we're like, uh-oh, uh is that, 
<laughs> going to turn into something even even worse, I think we would say. Um, how dictatorial is it? Or is it like, is it Xi Jinping saying, I'm the man now, everyone buzz off, I'm being polite, yeah. um, I'm the one you have to deal with? Or is it like more of an establishment thinking, well, Xi Jinping is doing a great job, we don't want to, him to have to leave in a few years, so let's just, you know, let's leave him in place. A little bit of all of that. Um, this is definitely Xi Jinping in power, and this is a man who has consolidated more power than any Chinese leader in in modern history since definitely since the Mao era. So that by itself is is very interesting. In many ways, we're seeing a, a kind of a reversion to the norm for China. China has never been a democracy. China has never been even that much of a republic. China has, for most of its five thousand years of history, or at least three or four thousand of those years, has been ruled by emperors. And so for a brief period in the 20th century, we had Republican rule, which where mandarins and bureaucrats ran the, the government. Uh, now we have the party leadership running the government. And we are in some ways reverting back to what is the normal uh, place in Chinese politics, where you have an emperor leader. That is what people are accustomed to here. And well, the people, but at least the system, its roots are in that. Um, you know, not everybody's happy here. There's a lot of discontent, a lot of kind of frustration, a lot of concern and fear. So I won't say that it's universally kind of celebrated. But there is something very important to recognize about this moment in history that we're in right now. China is ascendant. China is now much more powerful than it's than it's been in a long, long time. It's challenging the United States for hegemony in this part of the world. Asia is the most important part of the world. I hate to tell you Europeans and and Americans out there, but uh, the balance of power is shifting to Asia. 60% of the world's populations here, more trade passes through this part of the world than anywhere else. The fastest growing economies in the world, India and China alone are going to be the powerhouses of the of, of this century. And Xi Jinping sees it that this is his time. And this is an opportunity for China to really rise faster than it could have done without him, is what he says. That's the argument that he's making. They also see the gift of the clown show that's going on in the United States right now. I mean, people out here look at what's happening in the United States as a joke, but they also look at it as an opportunity that Trump is so destructive. And it's not just Trump in many ways. It's American culture is uh, is in a is in a spiral in so many different ways. And they see this as an opportunity for them to how so, to advance themselves. That's I'm curious about this. I mean, I'm curious about a million things. Uh, maybe I think we say this every time you come on the show. We should do a special on China alone. Um, but One thing I'm curious about is you're saying there is some dissent, some concern. I'm wondering how it's expressed, if it's expressed at all. I know that is a very much policed state and the uh, mm. the, the the network and the internet is, is surveilled and it's very difficult to, I guess, say something without it being noticed somewhere. Uh, so how is discontent being expressed, if at all? And then you're saying they see American culture spiraling down which i'm sure you know everyone has said that at many points of american history uh and maybe it's true or truer this time but i'm wondering how chinese the chinese population you know the media maybe but even more the population itself sees that like how it manifests for them um a couple different yeah these are these are great questions so the way that dissent is expressed here is it's not the same as it is in other places. Uh, it, people say it in private, people say it to themselves, and they say it to their friends. 
Uh, it's not something you can necessarily get onto online and start publishing blogs. That that will be taken down quite quickly thanks to the Great Firewall. And they're very, very effective at that. Uh, Chinese is a very flexible language, so people use oftentimes codes in their in their characters, synonyms and homonyms and different ways of expressing characters. The government usually picks up on that pretty quickly and then starts centering that as well. So that type of expression is not there. But you just hear it in the business community. You hear it when you talk to people and you hear it more informally. In terms of how people view the United States, um, it's a combination of things and it's not any one thing. Trump by himself is actually probably more popular here among people than than, than a lot of people would think. People really, they idolize here the, the corporate businessman because in so many ways he is the antithesis of the Chinese bureaucrat, the Chinese leader. He says and does anything he wants. He is a successful billionaire, things that they aspire here very much the same and he way. He has a lot of gold States. in his apartments. So and he has a lot of that, gold that and they, they like that too. And they, and they respect that kind of no nonsense, very much the same way that the white working class in the United States respects and, and kind of the, the tribal populations in the United States that are rallying behind Trump and his base. They respect the things that he says what's on his mind. It's not scripted. And that's the opposite of Chinese politicians and Chinese leaders here. So they, they do admire that. But at the same time, people see a culture where they don't understand how it is possible that there are guns everywhere in the United States. They don't understand these school shootings. They don't understand the excesses. How people comment to me, how, why is it that Americans are so fat and, and overweight and the obesity numbers? And it's just the image of it. Uh, people will ask me questions all the time about why is the United States still engaged in wars in Afghanistan when, in fact, there is no end to it. And and these are the questions that just keep adding up time after time after time after time. And when you open up the newspaper over and over again and you start seeing these types of headlines, there's a certain level of disillusionment that starts to kick in. So you're seeing more young people now choosing to study in Canada, in Australia, in Europe, in other places. The visas are getting harder to get for students to go to the United States. There is a sense of a lack of appreciation now that the Trump administration wants to cut back on student visas, which is just a horrific idea. Um, but the Chinese are paying full fare and they feel that that's not respecting their contribution to these universities and what they're doing. So they're taking their money and they're going elsewhere. You so know, all of these combine to make a very frustrating experience watching the United States from abroad. Yeah, I would say that uh, many of those things you described are being felt outside uh, of China and I mean, outside of the US. And I'm, I'm not just talking about Trump. Um, although obviously that's a big factor, but especially, you know, things like the, the, the shootings and the guns are things that we wonder about. And we did a, you know, a special about that last episode where we talked to gun owners. So I'm not trying to, you know, do this very unilaterally. It's just, the fact is outside of the U S we just, we just don't understand how this is possible, that it's still going on. And that contributes to this, as you were saying, the disillusionment of people who used to uh, look at the U.S. as something to aspire to. And certainly now it's more like, yes, there are good things, but look at the bad things they are. That's right. And I don't want to point to guns too much because that's a factor, but it's not the only one. Things like um, uh, you talked about how fat people are. And I'm sure, yeah. you know, there are some listeners who are, who are overweight uh, in, in the audience. And I don't want, I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone, but this is something that is definitely a concern. And culturally, uh, it feels like something that has, I'm sorry for the very bad pun, but that has weight in the way that people look at the country overseas. 
we certainly in France and maybe, you know, in France were uh, probably amongst the, the least overweight people in, in Europe even. So that that might overemphasize that element. But we also don't understand how that's possible because it's very simple. Eat healthy, exercise a little bit. Don't eat that much. It's about quantities. And you won't get that fat overall. You know, obviously, yeah. there are always But the irony cases. is that China is rapidly becoming a very obese country, too, right. which is ironic. That So people – so obesity is not something that's unique to the United States by obviously, any measure. Yeah. Uh, but it is one of these – it's just – and again, that's just one of the comments that comes up, which is that people just don't understand the way we consume food. They don't understand, obviously, the way that we look at religion and politics. They don't understand the guns. And there are so many different things. The one thing that, though, that the Chinese and Chinese people are very happy with the Trump administration is that since Trump came into power, the Americans don't lecture Chinese about human rights anymore. And that is that has actually been a big benefit to the relationship because that used to be a major, major sticking point. And the Chinese had started to prepare a whole series of rebuttals to American criticisms on human rights. They talk about health care. They talk about uh, Black Lives Matter. The, all the things that we recognize uh, that are very obvious to people like me as human rights problems in the United States, the Chinese had started building media campaigns to start highlighting that. But then Trump came in and said, you know what, we're going to take human rights off the table. And so in one sense, that has actually helped the relationship because that used to be a very big sticking point between the two. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't pass a judgment whether that's good or bad, but that's just the reality of what it is today. All right. We're going to talk about uh, North Korea as well in a second. But I do want to turn to uh, Turkey to ask about uh, what we were talking about earlier, the uh, removal of the term limit for the Chinese president. And I mean, obviously... Your country is not a democracy. I'm wondering how people look at, you know, that event, if they mention it at all. Uh, they looked at it, uh, but not really by much, because this region is an, is an entirely, I don't think there's a single democracy, with the exception at the moment, uh, the real democracy would be Tunisia. But other than that, there's not much democracy going on around uh, in this country. And what democracy we have in the region is based on uh, sectarian uh, rule. So you have division of governments in Lebanon and Iraq, where each, there are specific positions for a specific person from a specific uh, uh, religious uh, uh, group. Mm -hmm. uh, so we... Uh, a person being ruled forever or uh, unlimited, it's the norm in this region. You have the Gulf nations that are basically monarchies. You have Egypt that apparently the president usually wins his elections with a 90 plus percent. <laughs> uh, same thing in Syria where there's the war now. That One of the reasons is you have a leader that wins with 90 plus percent apparently. And uh, Jordan is a monarchy. Uh, Iraq and Lebanon, as I said, they are democracies, uh, but their democracies are uh, based on uh, uh, dedicating positions to a specific uh, sect, a religious sect. So, for right. example, so the, there's the Christian gets that position, a Christian yeah. gets that, that yes. position, a Muslim, etc., yeah. etc. So yeah. the president is a specific, has to be a Christian, I believe. The Sunni Muslim in Lebanon is a prime minister. The house uh, head of the parliament is a Shiite. So that's the way they're divided in these two countries. And, and it hasn't have, been working very well in the past few decades. So, 
it 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 was a solution at the start after right. yeah, the exactly. uh, civil war, and it was a good solution, but it should have been a temporary solution. Mm. And apparently, it just ended up making those facts of life and people insisting that's how it should work. And Iraq decided to adapt a, a similar path. Uh, uh, the point is they're trying to give everybody power uh, so there won't be any uh, problems between the different religious groups. But that's not working. So uh, anyway, what I'm trying to say is uh, it got attention, what happened in China. People have been looking into it uh, and uh, following it, and uh, there was news about it. But at the end of the day, the reaction is, you know what? And this is what most people have been saying. This guy actually uh, led China to be a prosper and strong country. He should stay there. Right. Yeah, I, I guess uh, it, yeah. it makes sense when you look at it like that. But uh, I, I and, definitely... Uh, oh, but Patrick, Patrick, one question for you. How long has Angela Merkel been in power for? Well, if you vote her in, then she 24 can be... 24 years she's been in power. Okay, but that's I an mean, unfair comparison. Come on, if, really? If people... No, no, no. no, 20, no. I... A whole generation? She's sure. been in power. Some people haven't even been alive under... I mean, 24 and, years is an enormous amount of time for so a democratic is, country. Is Xi Jinping going to need to go back in front of his people or his committee or no. whatever to be voted back no. in? No. Angela, Angela no. Merkel had to do that. And that is a, a very important difference, which I know you know, and you're just, you know. Uh, uh, no, I'm just making the point, though, that 24 years is an enormous amount of time. I agree. And I agree. So, but I don't think, you just, know, and this is not to defend the Chinese in any way, because I think what Xi Jinping has done is questionable. Uh, but the point is that it's just these are complicated situations and it's very easy on the outside to say, why aren't you doing it like us? And at the end of the day, yeah. countries like this have to make the decisions for themselves. And, you I know, the people big... here are making the decision, but the president and, and the, he's, he's amassed more power. So he said, you know what? Guess what? I'm here for life. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the if we get back to the <coughs> image of the United States, I think we're getting it's not like the US is sinking to the bottom of the barrel or anything like that. It's just a lot of people are thinking, well, maybe they, there's no idealization of the US anymore. I mean, obviously we have a lot of great things coming out on the, of the US still and as a a uh uh, I was going to say a journalist. I'm not really a journalist, but let's say as a media person focused on tech, it's pretty obvious that a lot of the good things and not so good things, but interesting things come out of the U.S. Um, but there, there isn't that, oh, the, the U.S. is this like the land of the free where anything is possible and anyone can become uh, anything they want, you know, and, and certainly there was this image when I was growing up. And I don't know when it started to change. And some people have always thought that that wasn't the case. And probably rightly so. There was a little bit of idealization going on there. But I think even people who were looking up to the U.S. are now thinking, well, you know, there are good things. But also, and again, it's not just Trump. It's things like healthcare, the healthcare situation and the poverty and the um, uh, obesity issue and all of those things that take you make you take a step back and which actually most of those are relatively recent i think um you know it's like 30 years or so for many of those not for all of them obviously i'm thinking about you know i've lived in i've lived i've lived in authoritarian countries now for the past almost 10 years okay in so Vietnam, you're not counting China, france Thank in the you drc 
Uh, no, that's a communist country, but not an authoritarian country. <laughs> so, uh, so you've but, lived, uh, sorry, in, in Vietnam and China and... And the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, right. and uh, which is not really authoritarian, it's just chaos there. And, and the idea that people really needed the United States as a concept to exist, because in these countries... It was always messed up, but there was this this idea that somewhere better existed, and that gave people a lot of excitement and hope. And particularly in places like Vietnam, where it was, and it still is very much a dream, to go and migrate to the United States because it is more free, because you can be more, because you can you can break out of a caste system that you wouldn't necessarily be able to break out of in other countries. And and the fact that this is now fading is is sad for the world because we need that type of ideal that's out there. And it's, you're right, it's not there and it's fading and people are starting to see it. And Americans don't really understand that the rest of the world is paying attention to what happens. Yeah, I when agree. Ferguson I think... was happening, uh, that, and, and, and my, my staff came to me in Ho Chi Minh City and they said, why is the army pointing guns at people? And it was a very basic question. I had to explain, well, it's really the police and it's not the army, but I know they look like the army, but it's really, and I just said, forget it, you're right. And that's the type of disillusionment that they don't understand and that makes people sad that the United States as the ideal is fading. Yeah. And the ideal now has been switched in uh, countries like in Saudi and the Middle East and so on. Now they're looking at China as an ideal country, China. Singapore, uh, UAE. I mean, yeah, I mean, China, if, you, if you're living in a developing country, in the past 30 years, China went from one of the poorest countries in the world to the world's second largest economy with great infrastructure, with great economic advancement, with living standards now in some places that rival the West. And you think to yourself, uh, yeah, I want that. And and that is really an ideal. So Turkey, you're absolutely right. People are looking at China in many ways as a role model. Again, Westerners get very defensive over this. Well, oh, yeah. they're not free. I, well, they don't have all this. And you just, you have to see it from a very different point of view. And I, I would say my initial reaction is always, what are you talking about? Like dictatorship and communism and all of that. Although, you know, communism with a grain of salt or a thousand, um, given what's happening economically. But... Um, my reaction is always no. And I I have to say, in the past maybe 10 years, I've had to put a little... We, we have this expression in French. We say, I put a little wa of water, a little bit of water in my wine. So it's kind of I mellow my, my uh, certainties a little bit. And I don't... I mean, I still believe that a democracy and a republic are... The, the best systems because of the freedom. But I, I'm wondering sometimes if... I don't even know what I want to say. I'm just wondering sometimes. I don't have any certainties like that anymore. And and the fall from grace of the US as this idyllic place is also incredibly uh, disappointing because it gives leeway to you know much more nefarious ideas and people to say... Oh, well, look at the U.S. It's not all it's trumped up to be. And it's not, oh, Trump. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's not what you think. So let's do it my way, which then leads to these kinds of things, which aren't always as successful as China, if, uh, you know, successful at all. So um, anyway, we, we, every, every, just one last point that I'll make is every year I'm invited to speak at a local university here to American students who come here. And a lot of them come with the same mindset that you have about China. Mm. And then one of the first things I say to them is, 
they're not as oppressed as you think they are, and you're not as free as you think you are. And I think that's a really, really important starting point to any discussion on China and also about our own countries in the West. They're not as oppressed as you think they are, and you're not as free as you think they are. As you think you yep. are. Yeah. I, um, I think the Facebook scandal points that out. Yeah. Your yeah. data is being trafficked well, and sold. You're being watched and you're being monitored sure. in all sorts of different ways. It's not a government doing it, but it is a corporation. And my own government is, in fact, actually doing that as well, as we know from the, uh, the Snowden papers. So, mm. you know, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, the kind of thing that happened in the election in the U.S. last time. It's You point to something that might be 20% bad and, and point to something that's 80% bad. And you go, see, they're the same. I would argue that they're it's not the same. But, um, it's a lot of gray there's a yeah, lot yeah. of gray right but there's different kinds of gray and the argument that many people make when they're trying to uh sell you something be it an idea or a criticism of something is it's all gray so it's all the same and that's where the the distinction becomes important um Anyway, all right. Uh, Dan, if you have anything to add or say, or please interrupt us because we've known each other for a while and we never stop talking. So please feel free yeah, to don't interrupt worry. us. And perhaps uh, just, just one small point that uh, I, I want to, to make is that it's sure. kind of interesting how the, the relevance of, of uh, China in particular is affecting the rest of the countries. Uh, right now in Mexico, well, we are uh, dealing with the NAFTA negotiations. We are, I, I believe, in the seventh round. And uh, before that, we actually were uh, of the countries that were more interested in the Trans-Pacific Treaty. And that's mainly because, well, uh, if we're going to have a sort of a blockage in the, with our main uh, partner, which uh, used to be the United States, we obviously have to look at different parts of the world so we can have uh, commercial treaties. And uh, in this case, perhaps we're being a little bit used by the by the Chinese uh, governments or corporations because we, we can help in the way that we are like uh, a point of connection with the rest of the continent. We are really close to the United States, but also it's a, a main point. So it can enter to the rest of the of the of the countries uh, below. And that's a particular case in the case uh, in the situation of Didi which actually opened uh, offices uh, last year, and it, it was mainly as a point of entrance to see if they can make business here that, that will be easier for, for in this case, uh, this Chinese corporation to enter the United States. So it's, uh, it's something that we have to be really looking at because it will affect us economically uh, very soon. So let's not make jokes about walls preventing stuff to enter and pass the... Okay, but um, you are... So how do you look at how does your media look at China now and maybe especially that uh, uh, removal of the term limit for Xi Jinping? It, how was it uh, relayed? Uh, in this case, well, uh, with, the, with the relationship, it's kind of interesting um, because it has been something that has been uh, working for, for a while. I remember that uh, in the mid-90s, uh, we actually start having a lot of development in parts for uh, Chinese industry in, in some states like Guanajuato, well, some states in the center of the country. So it, it has been like something that is, it doesn't come as a, as a surprise because uh, for different sectors that are really important, for example, um, the shoemaking or clothing, uh, we start seeing uh, more 
presence of uh, Chinese products because they are really cheap, so it's easier to sell, but also the components, even for cars. So when the, we have the, the entrance, uh, in this case of Didi Shushing in in, uh, in the marketplace in here, it was used like a natural step in, in that way here in right, Mexico. Right, no, but I mean, I mean the, the oh. removal, removal of the term limit, you know, who can... Uh, Xi Jinping can now be president. Ah, I'm life. so sorry. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Sorry, sorry. I, I was, I was uh, thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, um, w- <laughs> sorry, it's just because I was thinking about uh, no worries, no worries. taking uh, taking a, ca- a car later. Yeah, well, it, it it didn't exactly come as a surprise, but it, it also was like, well, they are putting in paper something that was uh, thinking that, that that was coming in a way. Because uh, for how long has he been in the government as as the head of the government? Oh, yeah. So this is he's starting a second five year term. Mm. All right. So it's actually a shorter period, as uh, you made the, the, the comparison before, Eric, uh, that the, perhaps with some European countries. However, uh, the reception that he has been the population of the country has been very, very, very let's say, very positive. So that was perhaps why it didn't come as, as much as a surprise. Mm. And, you know, uh, obviously, uh, he was that reception was great in China because you couldn't hear anyone who thought otherwise. So um, (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk quickly about the North Korean uh, aspect of the news from the past uh, few days. can you tell us a little bit about that, Eric, before we move on? To yeah, our so so the big news was that Kim Jong-un came to Beijing and it was his first overseas visit. And this is really being interpreted as a power play again by Xi Jinping in many ways to box out Trump, that any deal with the North Koreans will have to go through Beijing first. And, and one has to really remember that the American agenda and the Chinese agenda are radically different here. And there's always been this frustration in the United States of why aren't the Chinese doing more to help us? and to help bring this uh, this madman under control or little rocket man under control and it's because the chinese don't share the same outcomes that they that, that the americans want the chinese prefer to maintain the status quo the worst nightmare for the chinese is that the north korean government implodes and that uh, south korea and american troops end up on the chinese border that is literally their worst case scenario uh, nuclear war is obviously something that they want to avoid as well but their their goal is to make sure that the status quo in North Korea remains as a buffer against the South Koreans and the Americans being present on their border. And so Xi Jinping wanted to kind of get back involved in this. He'd been marginalized a little bit up until now. I think Trump's announcement over the direct talks with Kim Jong-un really kind of shocked people in Beijing. And so this was a move to to be able to say, OK, Washington, if you want to play ball in this part of the in the world, you're going to have to go through uh, Beijing and have to go through Xi Jinping. And it was a very deft move. And it also presented Kim Jong-un as a more rational uh, player here. We've all, you know, we've always come to see Kim Jong-un as a wild man. Certainly Trump has characterized him as a little rocket man and as a crazy madman. And we're starting to see the display of a more rational Kim Jong-un uh, in a more diplomatic, more professional type of diplomat that we haven't seen up until now. I think the the way we looked at it was again probably because we're uh you know we look on, only at ourselves and we're westerners but the way it was interpreted was really Trump kind of Trump's position was diminished in that conversation when he he also shocked the world when he announced there were going to be uh talks with North Korea um 
it was it it kind of started to feel like oh maybe he did play his card rights his cards right and and he he does know what he's doing in this weird confrontation that they keep having over Twitter um and this was kind of a either perceived or real uh, uh, a coup by by China and maybe to an extent even in which uh, North Korea was involved going like attacking Trump's credibility. So um, I think that's how we looked at it from here, not destroying it, but going like um, Trump is on the back foot on that negotiation, which apparently he, ha he had been um, taking a, a, a better position in. Remember that China can, 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 can end this show tomorrow if they want to. All the fuel for North Korea comes from China. Uh, a lot of the black market trade, which has been cut considerably, comes from China. So if China decides that they want to to turn this off, they can turn off the fuel taps and that's it. North Korea basically just withers away. And they don't want to do that. Again, that's not their incentive to do that. The Chinese certainly have leverage that they're not using. They, they again, they have a, an agenda that is radically different than the United States. Right. Uh, China is encircled by nuclear powers now. So it is comfortable. It's gotten comfortable with the fact that India, Pakistan, Russia, uh, now obviously the United States, which is and and you know off its shore, and and North Korea all have nuclear weapons. So that by itself doesn't really intimidate the Chinese, um, and they recognize the value of what Kim has done, and also because Kim has been a very rational actor, because the nuclear the nuclear card has been very effective as a bargaining power with the United States. I mean, certainly the United States would not take North Korea as seriously if it didn't have nuclear weapons. Right. So in some ways, when the Americans characterize him as a madman, it's the ultimate act of rationality. I mean, that is a great card for him to be playing right now. And and I just don't see how the United States, and now with John Bolton coming in as the national security advisor, um, what their options are. Are they really going to go to war in this part of the world? Really? Well, I mean, the 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 war game I, scenario I would say, is I would catastrophic say beyond imagination. Yeah, I would say it's obviously catastrophic, not. Catastrophic. But, but, I mean, but who knows? Yeah, you never know. Yeah. you don't know. I mean, Seoul is twenty minutes away from the North Korean border. I I mean, the again, the scenarios are beyond catastrophic for what it would be. But no one really believes that the Americans are going to go to war in this part of the world right now. So at that point, then you're just all talk and nothing else. And that's kind of, again, what we're worried about, about the American presence in, this, in Asia. All right. Um, I think we're going to move on from China, unless anyone has anything else to add. I, is Turkey playing with his lighter or something? Is that what the, <laughs> the clicking sound? No, Turkey? Okay, he's gone silent now. I'm here. <laughs> okay. Um, so, all right. Let's move away from China for a little bit, uh, but I'm even more convinced that we have to do a special on the country at some point. Um, but uh, you know what? Let's talk about France for just a second and what happened there. It's, I'm really wondering if that made the news uh, in other countries. You'll let me know. But um, there, there are many different things we could be talking about. There have been racial tensions uh, heating up in the country, hopefully not too bad, but certainly present. Uh, there was obviously this terrorist um, attack that uh, made a, a few dead a uh, few weeks ago, which we could talk about. But the one I really want to talk about is uh, former President Nicolas Sarkozy, 
who was we were talking before the show how you you call that procedure um that police procedure in in english in french it's called garde à vue which is basically being detained for 24 to 48 hours as you're being uh investigated for a crime and this follows a very lengthy investigation that started because of the um a, a newspaper that made revelations that were quite uh important at the time that parts of the ca presidential campaign of Nicolas Sarkozy back in uh, uh, you know his first campaign I believe now I'm not <laughs> certain um yeah I I'm pretty sure it was the first one um were uh, came from uh, Libyan money from uh, Gaddafi directly and that Nicolas Sarkozy was to an extent involved in that which would have been all manners of illegal. And uh, this has been going back and forth for a very long time. And now, uh, in a very surprising and uh, uh, impressive event, the former president, as I said, was actually um, detained. So detained, it doesn't mean he is uh, arraigned. He's not uh, formally um, uh How, uh, how do you say it? Like, not accused, but... Um, He hadn't been charged. Charged. Yes, thank you, Eric. That's, that's the word I was looking for. Um, for anything. But it's, the, it's the potentially the first steps for that. And there are some very serious um, suspicions going his way. Uh, so, and this is something that we didn't really think was possible uh, of course he's defending himself in the ways that any politician would i don't know that he's guilty or innocent i'm not sure anyone does uh certainly there are many indications that seem to show that he's at least uh not completely clean in that whole thing and um yeah so that was the the big news for a few days in the country it wasn't a huge surprise that it would happen But I guess no one really thought that he it, it would actually happen. It's like, yeah, he's probably somewhat guilty. There's some fishy things happening there or things that happened. But we've never seen actually a, a former president being, quote unquote, dragged. He wasn't dragged. He was, you know, very formally invited. He even went back home to sleep for the night, which can happen in some very specific cases for high profile people. Might be unfair, but sure. Um And and yeah, it, it happened. And it's like the, the country is divided, I think, between bewilderment and, again, because we thought it might happen, but we didn't think it would actually happen, and kind of uh, uh, not a spirit of... It's not really revenge. It's like, well, that's what was coming to you, so good for it actually happening. And um, I guess my personal position is just, well, if he's done the things he's being accused of, then, yeah, he should be detained, uh, uh, charged, uh, prosecuted, and condemned if they, he's deemed guilty. Um, but, yeah, there was certainly a, I don't know, there, there's at the same time, even for me, who's more on the right side of the political spectrum in France, um, there's a sentiment of, well, Tough shit. That's justice. You know, no matter who you are, you should be uh, liable to be prosecuted for what you do. And it's kind of a, uh, a half 
pride. Like I'm at the same time a little bit ashamed that the guy I supported and I think, you know, was a, a good answer for some issues in the in the country, um, not so good in others, but uh, that I, I supported was is involved in all of this. But at the same time, you know, it's the pride that we I live in a country when where this can actually happen. So justice does work, and I guess it's in sharp contrast with what was discussed uh, just before. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the main topic I would say uh, I would like to point out from what happened in France. And I'm curious if you guys heard about it. I'm wondering if it's not maybe too local um, for other countries to discuss. Maybe no, specifically some countries here. Okay. Especially the Qaddafi part. Right, obviously, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so how was, uh, it, Patrick, how was it? Yep, go ahead. Uh, sorry, Patrick, uh, just one question in here. Is, uh, for example, in France, do you have uh, trust in, the, in this case in the, in the process and uh, that it will be being, being taken seriously and that actually they're going, there won't be any kind of, I don't know, mysterious uh, movements so he can be freed of these charges, right? No, I think it will be done seriously. Um, okay. I think some people will tell you, like, if he's found not guilty, there will definitely be some people who will say, oh, well, you know, they were lenient because he's the former president or they manipulated the thing. Or, of course, you know, he's found not, not guilty because some kind of uh, thing happened. But I, I think what we've seen until now is that uh, justice does follow its course. And what we've seen in the previous, uh, you know, the last election was that people are are following through on these things and the justice system is working. And we had a very serious potential uh, uh, president for the, the current uh, presidency that was basically ruled out because of revelations from the press that were followed up by... Um, by the the justice system and so yeah i would say when when i think about mexico i'm thinking ah maybe there would be some arrangements france is not perfect in that regard specifically but i think in this case and in most cases the the follow through would be reliable really outcome yeah, let me so. let me challenge you <laughs> I, you you call this justice i call it politics Okay. And there's a very big difference. How many French presidents or prime ministers are sitting in jail right now? None. Have ever been sent? None. Never. It no, but that's happen. why it's he so important. He will never spend a day in jail. But you're telling me that, you know, from, from the time of Charles de Gaulle in France-Afrique, that millions and millions of dollars were being brought up from Gabon and other, uh, you know, from Ivory Coast and other places to fund uh, French presidential elections. And the dirtiness of French politics is corrupt as the day is long. And the idea that the French justice system is finally catching up with them is ridiculous to me. They're catching the dumb and the slow for political reasons, not for justice reasons. And I think to confuse justice and politics to me is a very, very dangerous thing. The French political system we know is rotten to the core. We know it's rotten to the core. It's been rotten to the core for decades, going back to, to in, deep into the colonial period where money was coming in, dark money. What, what was the South Korea involved in the Pakistani affair too, where money was coming in from Pakistan as well for illicit business deals? Whatever happened with that? Nothing. So the justice well, system really favors the elites. It does not crack down on these people. We don't see presidents, prime ministers, foreign ministers going to jail to serve any real prison time. So if, if I saw a French president and prime minister behind bars, 
great. But yet, if you go out to the banlieue and you see the way that the CRS are cracking down on immigrants and migrants, there's not fairness there. It's no more fair in France than it is in the United States. I think and you're being resent- a little bit. You're no, being no, no, no. a little bit. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's what I resent the most is that the French up on a pedestal and start lecturing other countries about governance and anti-corruption. And that, to me, is the most ridiculous thing. When I was living in Kinshasa, listening to the French propaganda coming out about corruption was just, it's obscene. And yet it right. happens just in plain sight in France. Okay, How is listen, that possible? I, w- I will say two things. First of all, I'll go back <laughs> to the... Nothing else. What? We're making uh, for audience of nothing else. Yeah, entertaining <laughs> for the audience. You broke up a little bit towards the end, Eric. But um, I, I'll, I'll say two things. First of all, I'll go back to the 20% and 80% uh, comment I made earlier saying, you know, some things are light gray, some things are dark gray. And I think you're, again, trying to say, well, it's all gray, so it's all the same and they're all corrupt. It's not all the same, but you, if, if you well, have corrupt leaders lecturing other people about corruption, that just seems a little ironic to me, if nothing else. I Well, that is a very different comment from the one you made just seconds ago. So I would take this <laughs> one. I wouldn't necessarily take the one you, you made before. And the other thing I will say is, um, so yes, sure, there are some issues in French politics. There are some issues in every uh, political system in the world, and some more even in the, the Western world than, than it is in France. If you start looking at, I don't know, Italy or Greece or some other countries, you can find examples where there are really uh, uh, outrageous things that are happening. Um, and the other thing I will say, it's a long, arduous process to clean up all of this. And I do think that we are in, uh, you know, slowly cleaning up our act. And I think that we are not worse than many other Western countries. And that's, you know, except maybe for the, the, the Nordics who have some kind of uh, superhuman ability to be ethical, um, <laughs> <laughs> which, which we should look, look up to, and I, hopefully some of us do. But we are cleaning up our act, and uh, it's not, you know, it's not, uh, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be thinking that this is all doomed. I think there are ways out of it, and we are taking the steps slowly, one by one, to clean things up. There are many things that have been changed in the parliamentary system, in the government system, to remove elements of funding that were uh, untraceable and some, you know, black box uh, funds that you could use for anything you wanted if you were a parliamentary mem- uh, member of the parliament, things like that. And and this I want to see it at, as another step towards uh, more accountability for our politicians. And sure, you could say, yeah, but it's all rotten, so none of it matters, which you were over, uh, you know, exaggeratingly saying earlier. And yeah, but then you choose to kind of throw the whole baby water bath and bathroom uh, together in the sea, and I'm not ready to do that. I think we have a system that is not perfect, that is, but it is perfectible, and those are steps that we're taking to make it so. So that's. I admire your optimism. I really <laughs> admire your optimism. It's, well, it's needed in these days. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm counterbalancing all of that negativity I was talking early, about earlier. Um, all right, so. Uh, you were saying, Turkey, that you heard about it, especially from the uh, Gaddafi angle. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about how it was received? Um, 
I'm not exactly sure how it was received because it's it was just a news uh, thing that people have been looking into because of the Qaddafi relationship that Qaddafi has uh, had influences here and there and that uh, that's how he lasted that so long in his rule because of the support he had from politicians from Western countries. Well, ironically, Mostly. he didn't last very long while this presidency was was happening. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, does that is that like uh, uh, fuel for the idea that the these democracies we're getting back to the same idea, but like these democracies aren't as uh, free and and fair as they try to portray themselves, as we were yeah. talking yeah, earlier. That, That is an MO that's been used by people who would claim stuff like that. Uh, the mentality is, uh, in many of the Middle East countries right now, and Saudi specifically, has moved from freedom and uh, rights and so on to uh, safety and security. Mm. So that's what people would look. Uh, when I discussed anything in Saudi with uh, people in Saudi Arabia and I mentioned some matters about uh, rights or freedom they would say oh just be grateful that we're safe right right and 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 that's the mentality that uh, a lot of people are uh, looking at and that's why uh, countries like China like Singapore like the United Arab Emirates are becoming role models for some of these countries even though all of these countries I mentioned they don't have much of a uh, human rights freedom Yeah. Uh, it's more of uh, security. They they're prospering. They have uh, good lives and so on. But uh, their freedoms are very limited. All right, um, Dan. Did you hear about that Sarkozy thing, or can should we move yeah. on to something else? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a small comment, but actually, it it, it was in line with uh, my question before because um, we hear about that, and that was why I was wondering if there was actually some trust. For Uh, for the institutions, in this case, that the process was going to go uh, in the proper way, because at least in this side of the world, uh, we really don't have a, a lot of trust in the institutions, particularly when we're dealing with uh, politicians or governors or authority Uh, people, authority figures, uh, yeah. uh, figures uh, because uh, usually we uh, th there's no proper due process in, in, in there, and we can see it even uh, with them or with their uh, I don't know with their relatives. Uh, early this morning, I was just checking some news that uh, in one of the most terrible cases of uh, violence in here, uh, there were like a, a group uh, that is called Los Porquis, which uh, it's uh, uh, some teenagers uh, who are. Uh, sons of uh, um, important figures, uh, either politics or on business. And uh, they actually did something terrible like uh, one year ago, and uh, they just uh, kidnapped a, a teenager girl. Uh, they actually raped her, and um, uh, the process uh, didn't didn't uh, go far. And uh, this morning, they released one of these, uh, there, there were four kids, and that was like uh, a sense of frustration uh, in this particular case, because it was horrible. And uh, because the, the parts that were involved were like, well, the judge uh, was pretty much in, in, in the case that we, we don't have enough evidence, even uh, when one of these young teenagers actually did confess about this, but because he's, uh, well, he's uh, 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 16 or 15 years 
old. Uh, we cannot do something like that. But the, the real reason was because his father was uh, uh, the, the CEO of a power corporation and had a politic connection. So that's why um, we have certain skepticism if, if the process actually mm-hmm. goes, uh, in this case, with Sarkozy. I know that is a really different topic, but the, 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 the thing with the institutions, and I believe that that's something that uh, Eric also mentioned in, in there, uh, it's uh, we have uh, very different perspectives in these cases. Well, I mean, yeah, I I agree. I don't think that, if I'm being completely honest, I don't think Sarkozy is going to end up behind bars. Uh, he might be condemned, though. And and if we reframe the question about have politicians ever been condemned uh, to, you know, uh, um, uh, in uh, being not being eligible for a certain time or having to pay fines and stuff like that, that has happened many times, and maybe that's how it's going to go for him as well. Is that is that justice, though? I mean, really? I I don't know. It depends what they're accused of. But I would I will I will agree, uh, Eric, that at least until now, justice hasn't been served properly for politicians uh, in the country. Probably not uh, consistently. I agree with mm. that. I'll I'll okay. I'll give you that. Good. Um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Let's go to a lighter second. topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, Dan, would you like to take us to a lighter topic for uh, news from, from Mexico? <laughs> Yes, let's talk politics. No, well, <laughs> just a small <laughs> reference in this case. Uh, we are going to go into the, the general elections in July of this year, and we have three main candidates. Uh, one of them is actually somebody who has been running for, for office for longer than 12 years. He has lost two elections, and right now he's at the head. Uh, in the polls, he's like with over 30% of the, of, the, of the preference of the audience. And uh, the other two candidates that are closer, they're like uh, kind of far like with 20 and 15 percent and i mentioned this because uh, three days ago in one of the nice neighborhoods in here in mexico uh, it's called las lomas uh, people start noticing that in the trees that are uh, in uh, near one of the avenues in, in in this part of the of the neighborhood there was a capuchin monkey so this this actually was uh, sensational for all the news he was appearing in all the news and uh, people were uh, obviously calling the police the, the fire department the, the the firemen so they could rescue this monkey and he was all over the news and they actually tried to to compare with the popularity that the candidates had and actually the monkey came in <laughs> second place so it's actually something that was like i i would rather vote for him than for the rest of the candidates to be quite honest so t- that tells you how the state of the the other candidates is with the the general population how would you vote would you vote for the monkey or one of the candidates <laughs> one of the things is that you have a well you can vote for the parties and you also have a blank slate so you can add your own candidates so uh, capuchin monkey i believe that he will he uh, right now has over 25 percent of the preference <laughs> in the country <laughs> and what role is Trump playing in the election right now? What, how are people feeling about that in terms of the candidates? How are they positioning themselves in relation mm-hmm. to Trump's policy towards Mexico? Uh, it's kind of uh, peculiar because I remember we said the, the fun topics, time. Eric. Fun topics. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trump, Sorry, Trump go, is fun. go ahead, Dad. 
Trump is fun. That's true. Go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, it depends in, in what side of the world you are. <laughs> um, in this case, uh, it it has come to a second place uh, because, um, as I mentioned before, we are very uh, very near the election, so that's uh, actually the main topic. The last time that I had the chance to talk with you, Patrick, and with you, Turkey, uh, well, it was after Trump was elected, and the the promises of the wall were like a big part of the deal. In this case, right now the the, the main focus is in, in the three candidates that I mentioned. The one that it's at the head, uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador, he has, uh, let's say that he is the option for the for the for for a real change. And I am using quotes when I say real change uh, because he's uh, against everything that is in the system right now. Uh, some of the, of the promises that he has made is that uh, he will... Um, um, destroy some of the proposals of the government that we have right now, like the educational uh, reform or the energy reform. Uh, he will uh, backtrack those ones and uh, perhaps come with a, a different solution, or at least that, that's what he's saying. And some of the other options is that, uh, because he, he has this kind of perspective, the the corporations and the, the main investors in Mexico are, uh, you could say that, skeptics or perhaps a little bit afraid of, of him in this way, because he's the anti-system, the solution that comes from the outside of what it's already established in the in the control uh, points in the in the power uh, in the in the power system that we have in here. Uh, the other candidates that we have in second and in, th- in third place uh, are pretty much uh, kind of the same. A little bit of context is that, for example, in Mexico, we used to have three three main parties. Uh, one is the, the one that was ruling for over 70 years, the, the PRI or Partido Revolucionario Institucional. And uh, we had a break from there in the 2000s. Uh, a different party was actually for two periods uh, taking control, but it was pretty much uh, the, the, the same for the rest of the population. Uh, the, the main candidate that I was mentioning, López Obrador, mm-hmm. He doesn't come from this party, so that's why he's uh, been seen as a different option. However, in case that he he wins, he also has a let's say that a, a perspective more focused uh, within the country. He's like, well, if we cannot deal in this case with Trump uh, with the United States, don't worry, we will uh, establish and use the the policies that we have in the seventies when we actually uh, didn't need a lot of help or a lot of uh, participation in the global market. But as we know, that uh, perhaps could uh, have worked in the 70s or in the 60s. In the mm. 60s. Right, right now is not a solution. So that one of the main criticism that people in general have uh, against him is that he tries to uh, to bring uh, forward some of the policies that perhaps sounded better before, but right now uh, they, they are not realistic solutions. But because it's something different, because he's from outside the government, he has gained a lot of momentum. I'm, uh, I have to say that I'm a little bit afraid that he's going to be elected but, uh, because he doesn't have a real plan. However, uh, one final thing in this aspect is that uh, as I mentioned before, he has run for office uh, two times before. Uh, he has lost both, both times. And the main thing is that uh, his worst enemy is himself. So we are waiting for the final two months of the, the general election period, just right before we have to, to go to vote. Because uh, what he has done before is say something or uh, do something that actually will make people uh, vote for somebody else. I don't know. Maybe the, the, the monkey. I don't know. maybe the monkey will be elected Uh, so let me ask you another question you talked about the lack of trust in the uh, justice system in the country 
how much how much trust is there in the uh, government in the country how you know because uh, again mm -hmm. i'm being dumb dumb patrick as i often am and if i look at uh you know latin america and south america and central america i'm thinking lots of corruption and lots of Uh, drugs and, as you mentioned, lots of powerful people being uh, being untouchable. How does the Mexican people think of their government? Uh, well, uh, the institutions, uh, let's say that they are not very credible in, in, in most of the cases. And uh, I have a couple of examples. Uh, one of the main uh, infrastructure uh, things that have been done with, uh, with the, the, the person that we have right, uh, right now, it's uh, an airport for Mexico City. And this airport uh, will be, in, at least in investment, uh, it's, it's a lot of money. It's uh, uh, over 700 billion pesos in here. And uh, one of the things that the candidate that I was mentioning, the, the one that is uh, at the head and it's anti-system, he says that uh, if he actually gets elected, he's going to backtrack also this project, which has been uh, developed for over, I don't know, four years. And uh, it, it will be one of the of the main um, the, the main things. So you, you also uh, see there that there is no continuity in the, in the institutions and it, it can change according to the. Uh, how the, the people elected wants, wants to do it. But, well, it, it, it's kind of normal. But another example that is actually a little bit more, um, let's say, that represents better how the people feel about the government is that for this airport, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, there was a news that uh, the president, Peña Nieto, actually used uh, part of the money for the retirement funds to finance this airport, which actually was, wasn't true. But a lot of people was like, yeah, you see, uh, the government is wrong. Mm -hmm. They are even using money that is not from there. What actually happened is that uh, some of the, um, the institutions that are in, char in charge of uh, investing this money are going to take participation on this infrastructure project, which, which is actually normal. And they are going to participate with about, I don't know, it's uh, like 3% or 4% of the entirety of the project. But people don't believe that, and they rather believe the, exa the, the, exa the, the, exa the, the news that the, the government is using the money that is yours, and they are going to steal from, from you. Mm. So that, I believe that uh, actually explains it better. So let me ask you the question in another way. How many people uh -huh. care about the election? How, wh how many people are going to go vote? Um, when uh, I mentioned before that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mentioned before that, for example, in the 2000s, when we finally changed from the PRI to the PAN, the, from the main party to a different party, the people who went to vote, it was about uh, 70, 76%, some, something around that, which was really high. Uh, for this election, even though the, the main contendant has about uh, 30% of the preferences, uh, people who are going to go to vote, it's around 46 to 48%. So you can see that it actually has declined a lot. Wow. Uh, also, because people think that uh, the vote that they can cast uh, won't, uh, won't affect as much because everything is rigged. <laughs> mm, yeah, okay. Um. Okay, let's move on to... That's kind of depressing again, but... <laughs> Sorry uh, about that. Monkeys, monkeys, monkeys. Monkeys, <laughs> monkeys, yes. Do you, do you think everything is rigged? What do you think? I personally, uh, it all depends. And uh, I say this because, for example, um, I right now live in Mexico City. 
But uh, at this very moment, I visit in my, my parents with, uh, and they live in a very small city, uh, which is in a different part of the country. And for a, a lot of time, I actually, instead of uh, having my, my main ID and my voter's card registered in, in Mexico City, I rather vote in a smaller city because my vote uh, actually count, uh, could count uh, for a bigger difference, for a bigger percentage. Mm. And in smaller cities, you actually see the switch of power between the different parties. In the main election, it's harder because, well, uh, you have institutions that are uh, backing up, in this case, the candidates. And... Uh, it's kind of sad because uh, what happens in Mexico City, a lot of people think that it's what happens in the rest of the country, which is is not like that. If you go to the north of the country, to the southeast, well, to different parts of the country, a lot of people doesn't actually uh, support the main candidate that I was mentioning before. Uh, but uh, because he's in the news, because he's in the capital city of the country, a lot of people believe that uh, you cannot change the preference in this case for the vote. Mm. So in the small scale, yes, you can have change. You can have... Uh, um, you can have a different perspective uh, and you can affect, in this case, the elections in a better way. However, um, I am going to, to switch to, to another news that was, uh, to different news that was a little bit interesting. You can see in the smaller scale that also the politicians are using uh, to to carry the votes to their own party, uh, different strategies. Uh, one, one different example uh, I believe that you watch anime series, right, Patrick? Like, yep. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I did a lot, a little bit less now, but let's say yes. All right. Uh, so, for example, uh, Dragon Ball Super, it's uh, one of the most popular uh, animes, uh, animes right now. And... Uh, in for the season finale for the episode 130 in different parts of the country they were actually offering uh, to stream uh, in public uh, in public places like in plazas or in, in um, well in in in, in plazas they they were offering to actually uh, stream the, the episodes for free so the people could watch it and you could see governors saying that uh, or, or mayors of series saying that yeah we're going to get the rights even though it, it was uh, actually not in the legal way when you you look at the fine print right so they just have the preference of the audiences in the series and they did it in four series and you had even the release from toei animation they are the, the creators of this anime right. and they were like uh, look guys for this kind of procedure you actually have to go to a lot of paperwork so you can own the rights but no because they find a sort of a, a void in, in the in the tramits and they actually use a, one reference uh uh, that perhaps will be familiar to you, Patrick. You remember Mexico went to war with France a long, long time ago. Uh, and in Mexico, we, we say that uh, we went to war with, with France because we weren't willing to pay for some cakes for the, the cake war or, or, or La Guerra de los Pasteles. You think that we're going to pay for the streaming rights of this TV show? <laughs> So All you right, can then. see there how the institutions actually use that in their favor. <laughs> okay, so that's how the country works. Duly noted. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on to our final uh, topic and country, and that's Saudi Arabia. We go to Turkey. Uh, well, Turkey the person, not the country. Although the people ask that often. You're kind of named after the strength of the Turks. Like that's where yeah. your name comes from, right? No, that's what I'm told, yes. Oh, okay. All right, that's what you're told. Maybe it, well, the, the real story is different then. 
God, God knows, but uh, from what I'm told from linguists here, that this is the reasoning for the name Turkey is from the Ottoman soldiers. Oh, okay. So it's not your mom who's telling you, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was because of yeah. the, okay. Mm-hmm. It's actually yeah. linguists. Yeah. Uh, all right. So what, what happened in, in Saudi Arabia that's uh, of note? Uh, let's see. The biggest three news articles here have been, first one was, uh, what was it, two, three days ago, we had... Uh, Uh, missile attack on uh, Saudi from Yemen. Oh my Seven God! Missiles. Three of them actually came to Riyadh city and they were shut down. Uh, it ended up with uh, one death, an Egyptian uh, expat. Uh, so that that was the biggest news. I've, apparently, I was fast asleep and I n- have, didn't know anything about it until I woke up. See, missile attacks aren't that bad. You can sleep through them. Everybody keeps on asking me, how did you sleep through it? Our, our homes were shaking from all the blasts. Jeez. So, okay. I mean, obviously, Saudi Arabia has been concerned about the war in Yemen for a long time. Um, and It's part of the war in Yemen. Yeah, involved in the war in Yemen. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I guess that fueled up some anger and some, why aren't, do, aren't you doing something towards uh, the authorities? No, it's uh, everybody here. Uh, Saudi Arabia has done a very good job of blaming the rebels, the Houthis, and the Iranian regime on this. So it's not uh, not our fault. It's their fault. Okay. They hate us, and they're trying to uh, hurt us. So. Okay. So what's already been in place is being like that's already being dealt with. Yes, we what we're doing in Saudi Arabia is fighting for the freedom of the Yemeni people against their Houthi rebels and their Iranian overlords. So okay. basically that's how it is. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I'm but, sorry to um to break this uh, I I don't know if you can hear the screams of my son getting home. No, we can't hear it. Mm. Okay. Well, that's that's good because he's he's very screamy right now. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Well, that always happens. He's he's generally unhappy about almost everything. So, just just a second. Well. <laughs> And this is a making off. <laughs> okay. I I'll be ba- we'll interrupt the show for just a second and I'll be back. Such a good And we're back. Uh, sorry, Turkey, I interrupted you. Keep going. All right. So we're talking about the attack on Riyadh. Uh, so the good thing about the attack is we have a lot of Patriot missiles. So we were able to stop them from uh, hitting their targets. Unfortunately, the debris did end up falling in some areas and it resulted in one death. Okay. Uh, the other big news, the other two big news, number one is uh, we have the crown prince is in the USA. He's visited with Trump and now he's doing a tour of the country, meeting with business people and uh, and so on, trying to promote Saudi Arabia as a business uh, hub. Uh, the second big and news, everybody. You're, you're very great friends with America. So you love that and great that he's going to America. Uh, sure. <laughs> no, I'm just wondering how the media is reporting on it. I mean, they, it's not like they can say they hate it, I suppose, uh, but well, aren't like the religious well, authorities uh, uh, not uh, super uh, happy? What, what do you think our media, this is a monarchy, what do you think the entire media about this trip would be? Okay, what about the, what about it's, the it's religious the most, authorities, though? They, they don't have a voice in the okay. media. 
it's the most covered trip and it's covered like we in the newspapers you would find like five ten pages every single day covering that event in glowing so, terms yeah of course yeah all right uh the other big thing is uh, people are waiting in excitement for the day when women start driving as Ooh, it gets is closer it? Well, I'm not exactly sure. It's either June or July. Officially, they haven't announced the rules yet, but uh, they've already established uh, driving schools for women. And uh, they've uh, started accepting applications. And we're still waiting for the regulations and see when it's going to implement it. But it's supposed to be either June or July. Okay, why is it more exciting now? It's been planned for a long time and it's still a couple of months people, away. People are talking about it more because it's getting closer. So that's what, uh, and plus now you have driving schools. So it's more real for a lot of people. Oh, the, the driving schools have opened. Yes. Okay. So those are the big uh, news here in Saudi. Okay, I will be honest and say that most of this doesn't, well, this doesn't really make the news. Uh, driving for women, I'm sure, will when it's actually implemented. But even the, the trip, uh, the American trip didn't. The, the war in Yemen, honestly, yeah, you kind of hear about it here and there. But maybe it's because I'm preoccupied by my newborn who eats <laughs> up all my time. But it's not really a big topic. Um Oh, come and, on, the missiles on Riyadh, that's huge. You didn't hear of that? I mean, I'm no, sure it was didn't reported. register over here. Oh, it yeah. didn't. It China. didn't register over here. No, not in Asia very much. I think it all, you know, it's hard from the outside to follow it because there's so many kind of interesting, interesting conflicts that are going on right now. I mean, it's just, it's just hard for outsiders to keep track of, of, of all of who's on what side. I, think, or, or I know that sounds or, very reductionist, but at the end or, of the day, it's it's just hard. Or, may, to keep or, may, or maybe the entire world just thinks, "Oh, these people just blow themselves every day." So who cares? Uh, no, actually, that's probably not some the case. truth to that. I mean, oh. it, it's just hard to follow. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's not the case for us. I think the the war in Yemen in Yemen has been talked about, but it's just. It's. I mean, it's the same for everyone, and I guess that's what affects it for uh, Asia, as you mentioned, Derek, as well. If it doesn't impact us in some way, then and, – and that's the same for everyone. You know, if it doesn't impact uh, the U.S., they're not going to talk about it in the U.S. If it doesn't impact Saudi Arabia, they're not going to talk about, about it in, in Saudi, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not like a dig at any specific country. But in this case, as tragic as it is, um, it doesn't really impact us. So we're not hearing about it too much. So, um, yeah. Uh. And uh, slightly uh, shortened by the return of my newborn uh, that I was talking about earlier and his incessant <laughs> screaming, I think we're going to have to bring this show to a close. But uh, it was a good one. So I want to thank all three of you for, for joining us. Can you tell us where we can find your work online uh, if people want more? Let's start with Eric. Sure, you can find me over at the China Africa Project.com. So we do a weekly podcast 
And uh, we're all over social media. You can find me on, follow me on Twitter if you want to stay on top of China Africa News at Eolander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Also, uh, some great discussions are going on over on LinkedIn. Uh, almost uh, 600,000 followers there. And really just intelligent, thoughtful discussions from a Chinese and African point of view. So a distinctly non-Western point of view. Uh, every day I'm posting there. And so I invite people to come and check out what people are saying from, again, from different vantage points that you may not hear in other places. Uh, thank you, Eric. What about you, Dan? Uh, well, uh, it will be easier just to, to find me in, in, in Twitter. So you can just uh, look, uh, look at me uh, for as Dan Campos. Um, from there, you can uh, find different uh, links where I, I talk mainly about cinema, about the production the, that uh, deals with it, with distribution, with, uh, with the screenwriting and that. But uh, this is way, as I mentioned before, it's in Twitter as Dan Campos. And you will get the link in the show notes, as you will for Eric as well. And, uh, and Turkey, obviously, what about you? Where can we find you? I guess it's Twitter. Well, yeah, that's where you can find me on Twitter at uh, Turkey Albala, T-R-K-I-A-L-B-A-L-L-A. I try and post as much as I can, uh, unless when I'm really busy with work. <laughs> cool. So double L, double A. Don't forget. Yep. Excellent. Thank you very much to you, Turkey, and to all three of you. Thank you as well to the listeners for, well, for listening and also for contributing financially to the health of the show. You can find the Patreon page at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. You can find the, sh the link to that in the show notes. It's very easy. You click there, you create an account. It takes about two minutes and you can support the show. You know, a dollar an episode is uh, already something that is really appreciated. There are hundreds, hundreds of people already supporting the show. And I would appreciate it very much if you would not necessarily uh, do it, but at least consider doing it. You know, if you think the show uh, brings some value to your life uh, or some entertainment or something, then maybe consider giving it a, a buck an episode. That would be greatly appreciated. And we do take the currency of the great evil American uh you know, United States. So for all the criticism, we still take your money. So there you go. Take from that what you will. We do thank you for listening. I am not Patrick on Twitter and on Facebook, so you can find me there as well. You will find the show notes at frenchspin.com. And if you want to comment, uh, have a butyl or say that we said something incoherent and silly, please feel free to do so. Uh, Frenchspin.com is one place to do that. The social media uh, updates are also another. As I said, you can find all of the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you very soon. Bye.